let's uh, jump into a word of prayer before we jump into God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, and I'm just grateful that I have the chance to be here and to share your Word this morning. Thank you for what you've been teaching me personally. Father, I just would like to ask that this morning, as I open your Word and share, that it be your words that speak, not mine. May your words be what trickle down into our hearts and our minds and impact our actions and our thoughts this morning. So, Father, just uh, use this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, uh, that sounds a lot better. I can even hear myself now. The last uh, three weeks previous to this Sunday, we have been going through the Upper Room Discourse found in John uh, 13 through John 17. And so we've looked at John 13 uh, twice, John 13, the first part, where we found Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Remember, we're at the last moment, the last night that Jesus had on earth with his disciples before the crucifixion. And so he sets the tone right off the bat by showing them that a a leader is a servant, right, who will humble themselves, not be prideful, but be willing to get down on their hands and knees and wash someone's dirty feet. And that's a pretty good example, right, lived out in front of them. Then, at the last part of John 13, we learn that Jesus would be betrayed. In fact, he was in the process of being betrayed in that moment, and then he would be betrayed uh, the next day by one of his closest friends, Peter. And we looked at how we ourselves often betray Jesus in our actions. Last week, though, we looked at a little more positive message, where at the beginning of John 14, we see Jesus giving reassurances to his disciples and reassurances to us personally that he will be there for us and that we can trust in him. So this week we're going to pick off, pick up, not pick off, pick up in John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. So please read along with me if you would. John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word uh, which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. Peace, I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. 
and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. So Jesus here uh, gives kind of a, a message that seems fairly repetitive. Did you catch some of the repetitive comments here? He talks often about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In fact, he has three or four different verses within this passage where he mentions those things. He mentions that he's sending someone to now be a helper, a new um, advocate on our behalf, the Holy Spirit. He mentions a couple times that that Spirit will live within us, right? Well, this passage includes a a cycle, a, a spiral cycle. In the Bible, there are a lot of different cycles in the Old Testament, Excuse me. There was the cycle of uh, people worshiping God and God blessing them, and then them living in prosperity. And then the people would forget about God, and then God would send somebody to get their attention and take them captive. And then they would call out to God. God would deliver them, and then they would live in another time of prosperity. And then they would forget, and then they'd be taken captive. And then they'd call out for help. And this cycle that we found in the Old Testament went over and over and over. Well, in this passage of John chapter 14, we have another cycle, except this one is much more positive. It's, it's a kind of a spiral, spiraling cycle, and I call it the love-obedience-spirit cycle. The love-obedience-spirit cycle. So we're going to jump right into this. The first part of this cycle is that if you love God, you will, what? Obey God. That you, our love leads to our obedience of Him. It starts it right off in verse 15 there. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will obey. Obedience isn't a new idea. This isn't something that Jesus just pulled out of his hat of tricks and said, surprise, I want your obedience, right? In uh, Exodus, as far back as the book of Exodus, and even further back if we wanted to go further, uh, it tells us that obedience is part of God's covenant with his people. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says, Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. So when Jesus, or excuse me, when God established his kingdom, the Israelites, his people, when he chose them, <coughs> he offered them a covenant. He offered them a promise. And it was two ways, right? He promised them, that they would be his people and that he would love them and care for them and make them prosperous if they did what? Obeyed him, if they kept his covenant. So right from the beginning, right from the start, when God chose his people, he had an expectation of obedience. But we know that obedience just isn't also an expectation. It's also something that uh, benefits us, right? When we, are, when we obey God, there are blessings that come from it. In Luke chapter eleven twenty eight, it says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So scripture tells us that when we obey him, when we obey Christ, that there's a blessing that we received from it. Now obedience really comes down to loving others. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, it says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Okay, carrying out his commands, that basically means obeying him. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Okay, so we know that obedience is an expectation. It's been there from the beginning, and it brings with it a blessing for us, the believer. 
Okay, it brings with it blessings. Uh, obedience is something uh, that is so important for us because it demonstrates our love for him. Uh, what was our memory verse for this month? Does anyone remember it? Romans 5.8. Can anyone say it? <coughs> Excuse me. Come on, someone be courageous here that knows it. I hear someone. No? <laughs> but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We could change that verse just a little bit. We could say, we could say our part of the deal is that, but we demonstrate our love for Christ in this. We obey, right? That's what this verse is saying. Hey, we obey, we show our love for God. So there's a promise. There's an expectation. There's blessings that come from it. Uh, next part is this. Uh, if, you obey, if you obey him, then you receive his spirit. Remember I said that there's blessings, there's benefits from obedience? Well, this is part of that. When we obey him, it says that we receive something. His Spirit. In verses 16, 17, 23, and 26 of chapter 14 that we just read, it keeps saying this, that I'm going to give you my Spirit. I'm going to give you my Spirit. I'm going to give you my Spirit. He's going to live within you. But that first starts off with that first part of it, obedience. In fact, our first act as a Christian believer is obedience. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, right after Peter preaches his first sermon, I've mentioned it, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, over uh, over the last three sermons, Acts chapter two has come up several times. Well, at the very end, after he preaches that first sermon, after he's received the Holy Spirit himself, and he stands up and he boldly proclaims to the people that they've killed Jesus, and the people it says are cut to the heart. They understand what he's trying to say. They understand that they are the ones who killed Jesus themselves. They say, <clears throat> "What do we have to do to be saved?" And what's his response? Exactly. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? A gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive. So our very first action as Christians is obediently responding to the call of Jesus Christ. And what's the benefit? The Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, <coughs> record a story where Peter says, Basically, that exact same thing. It shows us that obedience is a trait of those who are given the Spirit. So uh, it's kind of a back and forth. You, do you guys remember uh, the, uh, the Atari video game system? Okay, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And so uh, when I was about six or seven years old, I got an Atari. No, I see some over here. My wife doesn't know what an Atari is. I know what an Atari is. It was one of the first major video game systems, right? And one of the first games I got on it was a game called Pong. You remember Pong? And a pong, pong was basically a line and a line and a dot. And the dot bounced back and forth between the two lines, right? It was, it was amazing. It was revolutionary. Well, this obedience-love connection, this obedience-spirit connection is a lot like Pong. As we love and receive the Spirit, He allows us to obey. And as we obey, we receive the Spirit more. And as we receive the Spirit more... We obey more. It's that pong, back and forth. Acts chapter 5, verses 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, 
whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, so there's this connection. There's this connection between receiving God's Spirit and obeying him, obeying him and receiving God's Spirit. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if I can find my, my quotes this morning, here they are, has, you know, you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was a German theologian who was killed by the Nazis because of his stand against them. He had a great quote. It says, In the Gospels, the very first step a man must take is an act which radically affects his whole existence. Okay, the first step that we take is a step of obedience. And that step of obedience drastically impacts our whole life. Now that we have the Spirit, we've, we've obey, we say we love, we obey. Uh, if we obey, we get the Spirit. The third part of this cycle is that the Spirit then helps us obey. <laughs> right? This is the return. The pong, the little pixel that represented the tennis ball or whatever, is going back the other direction. The Spirit helps us obey. The author Jim George says that the beauty of obedience is that what God expects you to do, he also enables you to do. I love that quote. What God expects us to do, he enables us to do. He doesn't ask us to obey and then not give us the power or the ability to obey. Okay, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, it says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Even back in the book of Ezekiel, it's prophesied that the Spirit will come inside of us and allow us to obey Him. Sometimes we get frustrated that it's too much. There's too many rules. There's too much expected of us. I can't obey all of this, right? Well, he's saying that when we give ourselves to Him, when we love Him, when we attempt to obey Him, He's going to give us that Spirit, and that Spirit is going to help us to obey more. He'll give us the tools necessary. One of the ways that he gives, one of the ways that the Spirit helps us in fighting, uh, uh, fighting against disobedience is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He's saying we need to put to death the things that cause disobedience in our lives. So if the part of the role, Spirit's role is to give us strength to obey, and the other part is to give us the strength to put to death the things that cause disobedience. This is the, kind of the positive side of the Spirit, and then the, what the Spirit does to attack the negative side of our disobedience. Here's the last part of the cycle. The, spirit, the love leads to obedience. Obedience lives to the Spirit. The Spirit helps us obey and then our obedience deepens our love for him. Okay, do you see the cycle here? And again, it's kind of this back and forth. Love to obedience, obedience to the Spirit, the Spirit's back to obedience, and then obedience to love. In John 14, 21, we read it just a minute ago, it said this. It said, He who has my commandments and keeps, me, keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself. I will teach you through the Spirit more about me, increasing your love, which increases our obedience, which increases our dependency upon the Spirit 
which increases our obedience, which increases our love. Do you see the cycle that I'm talking about? Except this is a cycle that gets better and better. It gets deeper and deeper as we rely on Christ, as we obey Him, and as we love Him. What I'm talking about this morning really is called, I call it spirit-filled, love-directed obedience. Often, we try to improve our spiritual lives the same way that we try to improve ourselves through diet or dieting. I can speak firsthand about this. We decide we're going to do something, and we're going to go for it. We decide we need to lose a few pounds, so we commit to doing what? Probably eating right, uh, exercising more, and then we're, we use our sheer willpower, our desire to be healthier, to, to do these things. We, and we know that our willpower will see us through, right? Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And how successful are we? Not very successful, right? As you can see, not very successful. Well, in our spiritual lives, we often do the exact same thing, right? We decide that we're going to change things through our willpower. We commit to praying, to reading God's Word, to serving other people, to attending worship services regularly, and then we depend on our own willpower and our own conviction, our own commitment to see us through. Well, John 14 in this cycle shows us a different way to handle it. Because there's a difference between spirit-filled, love-directed obedience and sheer willpower. See, willpower, let's, let's take it to a very real thing. Let's say, uh, I've used this illustration a few times over the last several weeks of someone who's, who's uh, done something against you that you need to forgive them. Okay? You, you need, someone's hurt you, someone's let you down, and you know in your heart that as a Christian, as a good person, that you need to forgive them. So in this case, let's look at willpower and what willpower would do in this situation. Willpower would help you to be resolved to forgive a person because you know you should, right? We know that as good people. We know we should forgive one another. So we're going to be resolved. I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to try not to hate, and I'm actually going to try to show them love. Or maybe I just won't think about what they did to me, and the hurt will fade, and I'll be able to get, get over it. Uh, I'll try not to hold it against them any longer. You know, this is really just my problem, and I'm just going to push it down and box it in, and I just won't think about it. I won't deal with it, and I'll just treat them nicely, right? And eventually, maybe your heart will change because your willpower has just crammed that hurt down and put it in a little box. Maybe your heart will change, maybe. Probably not. But what a spirit-filled, love-directed obedience say in that situation? It says this, it says, Father, as you have forgiven me through Jesus, help me forgive them. In that same way, because I know that I've let you down, I've hurt you, and I've hurt other people, and I need your forgiveness, that person is no different, and they need that forgiveness as well. Spirit-filled, love-directed obedience says, Lord, pour out your spirit on me, because I need your strength to do this, because my strength is going to fail in this situation. I don't know that I can forgive, but through your spirit, I can. Help me understand what you have given me is far more valuable than what this person has ever done to me. And my value is found in you, not in another person. It's a whole lot easier to forgive when we understand those. Love-directed, spirit-filled obedience says, Show me mercy and take away my pride. That pride, you know a lot of our hurt comes from our pride, right? Because our, 
our sense of uh, worth or our, our uh, feelings have been injured, have been trampled upon because our sense of ego is so big. They've, they've damaged that. They've bruised that ego. Show me mercy and remove my wounded pride is what uh, spirit-filled, love-directed obedience says. And the last one is allow me to see them with the same love that you see them. And that's hard to do. I can tell you in my life personally that the best moments of forgiveness have come when I've prayed the prayer probably about a thousand times. Lord, let me love them like you love them because I don't love them. Right? Just to be honest. Have you had that situation in your life when someone hurts you? You don't feel like loving them. But God can change your heart. The Spirit can change your heart. And we know that when we have this attitude, the Holy Spirit can and will change our heart when we submit to Him in love and obedience. The really significant difficulties in this life are most often spiritual in nature. That's why we need, and as Christians, we, disp- we, de- we depend on the Holy Spirit working in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And we cannot fight spiritual battles through willpower and through our own physical uh, push to make things right, right. We have to do it with the Holy Spirit involved. We need the Holy Spirit to fight those kind of struggles. I'm going to leave you with this uh, final illustration. I heard this spirit willpower struggle defined this way. Let's say your car is on the side of the road and you need to move it. So you take off the emergency brake, you move to the back of the car, and you start to push. If the ground is level and you've been working out and doing your squats, you probably are going to move it a little ways, right? It's going to move slowly with a lot of effort, but it's going to move a little ways. But there's an easier way, right? The car has an engine. So why not take your key, put it in the ignition, give it some gas, and let the engine do the work? That's a whole lot easier, right? Well, in our spirit-filled, love-directed, obedience life, you have an engine too. And that engine is the Holy Spirit. And we need to put our key in the ignition by praying more to have a heart and do works like Jesus did. We need to give it some gas. We need to be feeding into our life God's word and prayer. And guess what? When we do those things, away we go. And he will change your heart and he will empower your obedience. So this week, I've got some take-it-homes for you. Got a couple take-it-homes. Three of them. The first one, you should be doing by now. You should have done it already. Okay, don't make me wag the finger of shame at you for not doing it, Treva. Memorize Romans 5.8. And from my reaction that I got this morning when I asked for it, we need to work on this, right? Okay, memorize Romans 5.8. Challenge someone else this week in the lobby or on Facebook or through text message to tell you Romans 5.8. Challenge me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I got it memorized. I don't know about you guys. All right, here's, here's one that's kind of important. though. That one's important, too. I shouldn't say that. Identify any actions or attitudes that are inhibiting the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Okay, or do you have a disobedience, disobedient heart? Do you have a heart that says, I want to do it my way and not depend on the Spirit? We all have attitudes in our lives that impact the ability for that Holy Spirit to really motivate us in our love and our obedience of Him. So identify any actions or attributes that are keeping the Holy Spirit from helping you grow. Okay, that's the negative side of it. Let's look at the positive side. 
I want you to identify any actions or attitudes, I think, yep, that enhance the Holy Spirit's work in your life and feed those things. They identify any actions or attitudes that are enhancing the Holy Spirit's work in your life and feed into those things. If you find that your obedience is growing because of your scripture memory, feed into that. Do it more. If you find that it's through acts of service, do those things more this week. If you find that it's through meditating on God's word, then do that more this week. Let's pray. Father, I love you very much. And we love you very much. And that's why we're here this morning, is to share that love with each other, to demonstrate that love to you through our worship and through our study of your word. And Father, I pray that as we go from here this week, that you will motivate us to a life of greater obedience, to a life of greater love. And as a result, may your spirit work great in our lives. And I just pray that that cycle will grow stronger and stronger and deepen our relationship with you more and more and more. So, Father, use us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.